the tendency to hold an inherent view of reality, um, of selfhood, of no selfhood, of spirituality, um, of what it takes to unbind um, from identity at all levels, runs very, very deep. The tendency runs deep. And sometimes, uh, even in very deep stages of realization, um, it's clear to me that someone still holds that inherent view. It has a feel to it, has a um, signature to it, I suppose. Uh, it's not wrong. It's okay that that happens. Um, but it is something that it's critical to address, um, to be open enough to see if there is any holding uh, anywhere, especially in regard, in regards to spirituality, um, whatever you hold most dear to you, spirituality, meaning, um, your own process, the unbinding that, that, um, resulted in, in whatever your current, um, experience is or your non-experience, whether it's a particular mode of practice, whether it's a spiritual tradition, a sect of Buddhism, Advaita Vedanta, um, anything, uh, any of that can have the flavor of inherent view, but it's the holding of the view itself or the tendency to form view that is um, at the root. It just, it just comes in different flavors. And interestingly, that is the fact that that can happen and that does happen. And it's very deeply rooted in our, um, not only our perception of self, but our perception of everything. Um, that's at the heart of, uh, most or all fundamental misunderstandings, disagreements among humans, um, group think, sectarianism, all of it. Um, Maybe one way of addressing it is to, to ask, why do we have to have a way to see the world? Why do we have to have a lens through which to see the world? Why do we have to have a lens through which to see ourselves? Why do we have to have a lens through which to see people? Why do we have to have a lens through which to see uh, spirituality? And if you ask the question and look at look for the answers, um, you can pretty easily find some answers to that. Um, you can see the practical uh, implications of that. You can see the practical application of that. Uh, it gives us something to agree on. It gives us a, a place to stand and plant our flag and go, this is what I believe. This is where I am. This is who I am. This is the club I'm in. This is the tribe I'm in. So it has some value, perhaps, in the relative world. Um, but does that have any real existence? <clears throat> or are we just creating that or responding to 
um, something and creating that position in, in relative to another position somewhere. Maybe our own position in the past or maybe the position of another. Um, so is it necessary to have a basis? Is it necessary to align yourself with a ground of being? Is it necessary to align yourself with a, an overriding principle that you somehow believe is always true? And if so, why? Where is that derived? I would argue it's always derived from some remnant of identity. I always go back to the Heart Sutra because it just has so many great pointings. But the line, freed from delusive hindrance, is so powerful. What is free of delusive hindrance? What is freed from delusive hindrance? Everything. Why hinder ourselves with Positions, opinions, beliefs, conclusions. Rather, look for what it is that makes us feel we have to form those beliefs, opinions, conclusions, and judgments, which is usually some form of discomfort or another. Restlessness, maybe. When we say Buddha nature or awake nature is all pervading, uncaused, that means it's both structured and unstructured. It's both a rich tradition and it's complete innocence. It's nothing at all. Um, it's absolutely accommodating. It can be on both sides at once. It can be everywhere in the middle. It's every gray area there is. And we're supported by that. And as a practitioner, as a, uh, someone who is giving their heart and giving their attention and, their, uh, um, and sometimes their life to turning toward that truth that's moving them, um, you're supported by that always. So it supports however you have to move through this process. It supports um, confusion. It supports rigidity. It supports release. It supports practice. It supports surrender. <clears throat> and all of these lead you back to your, your fundamental nature. which is not bound by identity and it's not bound by inherent view at all. So what do you do? What, what is your, what is, what do you, what is required of you? Um, in some sense, nothing. And in another sense, uh, a simple 
will, willingness to, uh, to acknowledge that call, to acknowledge that prompting. That's what drives all of this from what I've seen. I've seen people wake up in so many different ways. Um, And the one thing, so many different ways, so many different ways. I've seen people wake up who have uh, very, um, are strongly oriented to certain traditions and um, practices and a te one teacher and um, seen people wake up who really didn't have any, any uh, interest in or um, engagement in any traditional structured practice or tradition. I've seen people wake up through trauma. I've seen people wake up through complete, who knows what, a serendipity or an accident. I've seen people wake up fighting it, and I've seen people wake up just embracing it. Um, I've seen people wake up in the so much, so much in the feminine, so much in that feminine, feminine energy space, and people wake up in the masculine energy space. Um, Not that I've seen, but I've heard a, a really good story uh, described of someone waking up who made it his life's mission to prove that spirituality was nonsense because he, he just thought it was bullshit. He thought everything was bullshit, actually. So in trying to prove that spirituality was bullshit in his own internal experience, uh, something changed completely and shifted in freedom of suffering. So... Uh, some people require lots of different resources, different teachers, and um, that may evolve over time. There may be times when you feel um, strongly inclined to stay with a certain practice or a certain teacher or a certain tradition, even for, for a period of time. And, but if you rigidly hold that as part of your identity, part of your inherent view about spirituality, that will bind you at some point some point that will be your binding um, you, you <laughs> life will find a way to show you how to let go of that you have to um, and vice versa if you uh, strongly feel that this is something you have to do on your own you don't trust teachers you don't you don't want to be part of a group um, you will be challenged in that in that at some point um, so I guess the gist, part of the gist of this talk is, uh, don't let anyone define how your how your unfolding needs to go, because if there's one thing I've seen consistently, that is that as many different ways as people wake up, there is there's definitely a commonality, and it is your own heart level commitment. That's it. That's what does it. More than any practice, any teacher, any teaching, any system, anyone's advice, anyone's experience, it doesn't matter how enlightened somebody is, their experience is not your experience. Um, so if there's anything I do uh, is, or I try to instill in somebody, I think, is to just really get them to trust their own innate, awake nature. That's it. 
you know, I'm not a Soto Zen uh, practitioner, but I, I would say that's the spirit of Soto Zen, give or take. <laughs> um, And the beauty of uh, being free from inherent view, uh, it comes with a cost as well, for sure. Uh, you can't hold on to anything. You can't depend on anything, really. I mean, you can in the relative, sure. But even then, you can't fool yourself about it, about what that actually means. Um, you don't accumulate anything. It's very, very difficult to fool yourself. Um, even when you want to. But there's huge benefits, too. Everything's fresh. Everything's new all the time. Everything's innocent. You don't know anything. You really don't know anything. You don't have anything. You have nothing to give. But you don't need to take anything, either. You can see everything as it is because you're not looking through a lens. You're not looking through a lens of impermanence. You're not looking through a lens of permanence. You're not looking through the lens of sacredness or mundaneness. You're not looking through the lens of enlightened or unenlightened. You're not looking through the lens of relative or absolute. So that is to be free from delusive hindrance. To walk unencumbered, to sit unencumbered, to stand unencumbered, to die unencumbered. What do you really need? Do you need things to be a certain way? Do you need to have a, an accurate image of yourself or an accurate image of the world? Or can you live perfectly happily without ever even considering these things? What do you need? Do you need to know who you are? Do you need to know what this is all about? Do you need to have questions answered? Do you need to know what to align with? 
Do you need to choose your response to anything? So what would it, maybe it would be radical to live without needs. But if we lived without needs, what would that mean? We don't have a filter between ourselves and experience that says I need or I don't need, I want or I don't want. So there's just the vivid experience now. It's not about need or want or desire or aversion. Those are out the window. So it's full accommodation of experience, non-experience, full accommodation of mundane, divine, enlightened, unenlightened, pain, pleasure. And the, the, I just lose words here because this opens to depths that are unfathomable, but available all the time, always here. So even in the process of unbinding that can become very uh, uncomfortable at times, painful even, emotionally painful, physically painful, energetically intense, um, we can trust all of that. We can trust the pleasure along with the pain. We can trust the uh, confusion and disorientation along with the clarity. We don't have to distinguish so much. Um, That's the beauty of that orientation that I was just talking about as being the commonality I see among. I mean, what a, like I feel really grateful that I've seen people wake up so so differently, 
however this played out, it's, it for me is interesting because of how, like a YouTube channel and stuff. So I just come in contact with so many different types of people who've gone through this in so many different ways. Um, man, it's amazing actually. Uh, but they do have that commonality. It's a deep, uh, a, a deep uh, uh, willingness to attune to your intuition, and letting, and then let it, and then letting it keep getting deeper, um, even when you're surprised where it leads you. <laughs> That's what does it. I, I really think. I mean. Um, And that may add patience to that. Was it Bodhidharma that sat facing a wall for eight years? In the, the myth? <laughs> so simple. Ramana Maharishi had his big, huge shift when he was 15 and stole a little money from his uncle's wallet, went to Tiruvannamalai and sat for years and didn't talk at all. Direct exploration of where that inner prompting takes you. You don't need dharma, dogma, teachings, teachers. They can be helpful, sure. But it's already there. And it's so critical to know that, understand that, digest it, and attune to it, and trust it. And it will take you beyond, that attunement will take you beyond inherent view. It has to. And this, <clears throat> um, hold this part lightly because I, I'm just sort of using this as a, um, an analogy to make this point. And, but it is reasonably true from my experiences. Like I see some people who really fight this part for some reason. Like um, 
something I feel when I'm interacting with certain people. And then others really seem to get it. And um, there's a difference. And I think you certainly can, this can change for people, for sure. Um, but um, someone who really, I think, lives out of this, this is kind of what I see. Um, they may use, um, I don't know, healing modalities, for instance, like uh, therapy or relational modalities or anything, somatic stuff. Um, but they have a really good intuition about when that's run its course. When, um, and, and, and I pick this up in, in inter interactions and conversations with people. When they'll sort of say, yeah, I've, I've, you know, the therapy was very, therapy specifically in this example, but you know, therapy was helpful, it worked, and, and I got to a certain place with my therapist, but I feel like I'm at the end of it. There's something now that I have to even let go of the therapy. There's something I need to go deeper with that this therapist can't do for me, and I know that. Um, and the willingness to let go of that part of your life, let go of that part of your um, path and your process that can be comforting in some ways. You know, having another person there is comforting. Having an authority is comforting. Having a uh, I don't know what, an emotional advisor is comforting, but you have to let go of it. And, 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 and some people just know that. They instinctually know it's time to let go. Um, that's just one example. I can think of many other types of things, but that's someone who feels to me like, you know, they're oriented, um, perhaps I could call it right view or something, that, that orientation to their, their deepest yearning is really driving everything and that's their that's their tuning fork and often with people like that I'm inclined to say like you're in a good place you're you don't need my help you know I mean I'm happy to interact with that person but I'm more inclined to just say yes trust yourself trust yourself um, they and people language this differently too um, one person I can think of said you know there's this vibration, and it's really, really powerful. I, I, I can't remember the exact words, so I don't want to mess it up, but something like, you know, it's this, there's this vibration. I've felt it my whole life. It's very powerful. Um, it's kind of destructive. It's, um, it takes everything. And uh, they're describing this to me, and they said, yeah, it's, I've had spiritual teachers tell me, like, no, no, not that. Do this. This is what you should do. Focus on awareness or this and that. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Go right there. That's where you want to go, go. And that was it. And that's what they needed to hear. I didn't do that. It was already there, right? But um, because you can interact with people who really do hold views, they can confuse you. Because, and, and part of it may be their own fear, actually. They feel what you're talking about, and they're like, oh, I don't want to go there. You know? So they're going to spiritually advise you something that may not be the best thing for you if that's <clears throat> what you're really interested in is waking up and so forth. That's just an example, and I, again, there are many, many examples. I'm trying to just sort of, sort of throw things out to give you the sense of how people do know. They do know where their orientation is. <clears throat> um, they, do, they can feel it. They can feel that pull, that prompting. And all I really do is try to interact with them and tune them into, like, yep, that's it right there. That's it. Um, and that happens in different forms. On the other hand, there are people who I come in contact with sometimes who it's like, it, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's as if they're speaking spiritual terminology to me, but what I feel underneath is this like, no, it's a block. They're like, no, I don't, I'm not going there. But I do want to talk to you about it. 
And I'm like, mm, you know, it's, it's a weird place to be a little bit with people. No one in this room, by the way, is like that. I, I promise. But, um, but it does happen on occasion. And it's an interesting place because it's like, I have to really feel in like how much of this is real for you. Do you, do you even, first of all, do you even know what we're talking about? Because it's possible it's a mental thing. But sometimes I think they do know, but, it, but there's such a strong will to really not go there, to really block it. Um, and then, and yet they want like some kind of complicity from me about that. And I'm like, but I can't really go into complicity with the fact that underneath all of it, you're holding yourself. And so, and that's a hard thing to say to someone, you know, cause I, I also don't want to push someone too hard and destabilize them because they may have to hold there for a while. I don't know what else is going on in their life. So, um, so I, I give those two examples so maybe you can feel into the difference I'm talking about. One of those will, will open <laughs> for sure might take two days, two weeks, two years. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. And they know it doesn't matter. And the other one, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. They may hold on the rest of their life or they may, something may break. But for that one, often it's something like, what breaks that is like tragedy or something really disruptive in their life because something about their will is so strong in that. In that. And I don't even know. I mean, this is maybe just karmic and that's just where people are. But um but in that second case, yeah, I mean, you can have all the spiritual knowledge and, you know, they, people, I know people like that who, who know more than I do about Buddhism and spirituality and they know the terminology and they know a lot of things. And yet I, I just feel such a, a, like a, like a will that says, says no, <laughs> no, not letting go. Um, and that letting go, that's, um, that's really the, the, the real root of that is that inherent view, wanting to hold a view. Um, like I said, there's a lot of reasons you might want to hold a view, a fundamental view of, of, of everything. Uh, and, and it, you know, comfort, avoidance of fear, avoidance of the simple truth that these bodies are going to grow old, become diseased, decay, die, rot in the grave, and disseminate into other energy forms very quickly, actually. In the grand scheme of things, our, our lifetimes are almost nothing. <laughs> so fleck of sand on the beach. Um, so, so I understand it. I understand that holding. I understand that tendency to hold that view, fundamental view, or to hold any view, actually. Um, but it is tightly intertwined with the identity structure. What is, um, what is on the other side of inherent view, potentially? One way of saying it would be uh, Dogen's total exertion. Total exertion is, uh, uh, it's in this, it, we've been talking about the sense field. In the sense field, there's such a vivid aliveness, uh, and, and it, it's, it's, it's simply all of the urge of all of existence just coming forward just to, to create sound right now, to create a sensation, to create a voice, to create a footstep, um, and then another, and then another, and then another, uh, coming out of absolutely nothing. Um, quite remarkable. Uh, kind of like the most fun you could ever have. <laughs> and, but there's nothing there for you either. There's nothing... Um, nothing personal. It's not, there's nothing about identity in that. It's just, uh, it's just how, um, 
total the, the the total explosion into reality and the total combustion into nothingness happens apparently in this in this experience. I think Adyashanti said it nicely for him. You know, he said, "I took a foot. I took one step, and I realized that was the first step ever that the universe had ever taken. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. <laughs> it just continued on like that." That's a pretty good description of total exertion, I think. It's almost like a breath breathing, like the universe breathing itself into and out of existence. And you don't even have to reify universe. It's just a way of saying the totality or the cosmos. But when the non-dual, um, or I should say the dualistic um, illusion has been completely dispelled, that's what allows us to see, feel, taste uh, one as everything, one discrete. There's no such thing as discreteness. Discreteness is, and universality are same, same. And it's that intimate. Infinitely intimate, universally intimate. And then it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter if you meditate the rest of your life, sit, play with your dog, go to work, stay home, write, dance, hold your baby. clean up the ocean. It's all that intimacy, one flavor. And it's absolute uniqueness too, which is really paradoxical because it never was, nothing ever was. So this is absolutely unique, this moment, <laughs> this, this, gone. And then again, out of nothing, absolute uniqueness. But nothing left out, nothing missing, nothing on the other side. There is no other side.
So what is your inner vibration or your inner prompting or your inner intuition, your attunement? It's been there the whole time calling you inward. Beyond your thoughts, beyond your beliefs, concepts, mental constructs, and even perceptual constructs. Beyond perception and form. It just calls you. the Heart Sutra. <clears throat> the Bodhisattva of compassion from the depths of Prajna wisdom saw the emptiness of all five skandhas and sundered the bonds that create suffering. Know then form here is only emptiness. Emptiness is only form. Form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness no other than form. Feeling, thought, and choice. Consciousness itself are the same as this. Dharmas here are empty. All are the primal void. None are born or die, nor are they stained or pure, nor do they wax or wane. So in emptiness, no form, no feeling, thought, or choice, nor is there consciousness. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of, nor even active sensing. No ignorance or end of it, or all that comes of ignorance. No withering, no death, no end of them. Nor is there pain, or cause of pain, or cease in pain, or noble path to lead from pain, not even wisdom to attain. Attainment too is emptiness. So know that the Bodhisattva, holding to nothing whatever, but dwelling in Prajna wisdom, is freed of delusive hindrance, rid of the fear bred by it, and reaches clearest nirvana. All Buddhas of past and present, Buddhas of future time through faith in Prajna wisdom, come to full enlightenment. Know then the great Dharani, the radiant, peerless mantra, the supreme unfailing mantra, the Prajna Paramita, whose words allay all pain. Know and proclaim it. Uh, this is highest wisdom. Know and proclaim its truth. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhisvaha.